Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's going on here at the Met, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Now, enjoy the message. Well, good morning, everyone, and uh, I want to welcome all of you who are watching online. Thank you for sharing the services each week as you do, and uh, we are, as a result of that, reaching thousands of people that we would not otherwise be able to reach. And by the way, happy Father's Day to all of the dads. Let's give them another big hand this morning. Great job, guys. Happy Father's Day. Hope you have a wonderful day, a great celebration. You know, when you look in the Bible and you think about the role of the father and the significance of a dad, the Bible says primarily fathers are to be protectors of their families. And every dad in the room understands that. That's why we say to our kids, where are you going? Who are you going to be with? You know what time you're supposed to be home? Who is this guy? Where is he from? What do we know about him? You know? And that's why we do that. I know it frustrates all the kids. I understand that. But part of what a dad does, the way God wired us up, we are to be protectors. It's just a natural part of the DNA of a great dad. And not only are we protectors, we're providers. We try to do our best to provide for our family. And that is more than just material things. We want to provide the best emotional support. We want to be there for them and try to uh, anticipate ways in which we can meet their needs. And so we are protectors, we are providers. A a great dad is a promoter. (laughs) A great dad is a promoter. He's constantly seeing the, the value and the talent and the giftings that are in the lives of his children. And then a great dad is a priest. A priest, meaning that He provides spiritual insight and guidance to his kids. Uh, And when you read the book of Job, probably the oldest book of the Bible, the Bible says concerning Job, he was a priest over his household. And I'd say to all the dads watching this morning, the greatest thing we can do is provide spiritual guidance to to our kids. It's the greatest thing we can do. Pray for them. Uh, Pray with them. Be sure we are providing spiritual guidance to them. And so a father, a great father, is a priest. And then, by the way, the Bible says a great father is a prophet. A prophet, meaning that he speaks into their future. You say to your child, I see the potential you possess. You're good at that. You ought to do more of that. I I see that. You have so much potential. And I would just wrap all that up to simply say, that the secret of an effective father is in one word, and that is the word commitment. Absolutely committed to the cause, committed to the family, committed to the children. And dads, the greatest thing you could give to your kids is your commitment. And so this morning for a little while, I want to talk to you about renewing our commitment, renewing your commitment. Now, in this series, Renew, we started out talking about the value of renewing your mind and how important it is that we get our thinking right. And the significance of it, it cannot be uh, overemphasized because you and I will inevitably go into the direction of our thoughts. I've said you're here this morning because you thought yourself here first. You're watching this morning because you first thought yourself to be watching this morning. And so it is so important that we think about what we think about. In fact, in Philippians 4, Paul says, look, if there's virtue, if there's praise, if there's anything that is valuable, think on these things. 
It is possible to control your thoughts. Uh, we need the checkup from the neck up, right? So renew our minds. And then last week I talked about renewing our strength. You're going to become weary doing good things. You're going to become weary doing the right things. There's times in your life when you're just going to flat be worn out. And so it's important that we understand the value of renewing our strength. And the Bible tells us in Isaiah 40 that that renewal of strength is connected to our ability to wait on God, to make him the priority, the focus, the emphasis of our life. And then again, as I said a moment ago, this morning we're talking about the value of renewing our commitment. And you'll never achieve anything worthwhile in life without commitment. We talk about the value of a lasting relationship. And I'll tell you this morning, Love makes it happen, but love alone will not keep that relationship vibrant, and it will not keep that uh, or make that relationship lasting. Love can come in and out of a relationship. It can go strong, and it can grow cold. What will keep a marriage and a relationship strong is commitment, absolute commitment. And so I cannot, again, overemphasize this principle enough, and that is you and I need to look at life and look at our life and say, by the grace of God, I'm re-upping my commitment. Now, if you have a Bible, look with me in Philippians 3. I want to show you a way in which this is beautifully illustrated in the life of the Apostle Paul. In fact, in Philippians 3, verse 12, and in this, we're going to see some principles of commitment that I hope that you will... Um, really give some thought to. Number one, Philippians 12, he sa 3.12, he says, not that I have already obtained all of this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but this one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwardly in Christ Jesus. Now, the first principle I want to point out is a principle I simply call dissatisfied. <laughs> dissatisfied. Now, I know when you hear me say that, that sounds awfully negative, right? To be dissatisfied. You say, how could the Apostle Paul be dissatisfied? And what do you mean by that when it comes to being committed? Well, look again in verse 12. Paul said, look, not that I have already obtained all of this or have already been made perfect. Now, let me clarify what he was not saying. Paul was not saying, I'm not happy with my Savior. He was living his life for his Lord. Paul was not saying, I'm not happy with my salvation because, man, you read Acts 9, everything in his life changed the day he met Jesus. Paul is not saying, I'm not happy with my service because he is where he is today in that moment because of his service to his Lord. So what was he dissatisfied with? He said, I'm just dissatisfied with myself. I'm dissatisfied with myself. Meaning that I haven't arrived, I haven't attained, I'm not perfect, I've got some room to grow. And can I tell you that is the secret of an effective, successful life is recognizing the fact that you never really arrive. You never get to a place where you know everything. <laughs> Have you ever met anybody that you can't tell them anything because they ever already know everything? <laughs> They're just closed-minded. There's just nothing getting in that noggin. 
I mean, there's absolutely nothing you can tell them because before you finish what you're going to say, they tell you, I already know it. I know, I know, I know that. I know that. Well, what happens when you become a know-it-all? <laughs> you cap yourself at whatever level you're currently on. You see, you and I will settle on the level we become complacent on. There's so much more God has for us. There's so much growing he has yet for us to do. But the minute you feel like you have arrived, you are at the level, you have attained, there's no more growth for you. And can I tell you something? Even God cannot fill what is already full. And when a person becomes full of themselves, when a person becomes uh, so self-satisfied with where they are, the growing stops. And I'm just suggesting you're thinking this morning that one of the things that made the apostle Paul so amazing and allowed him to grow so effectively was the fact he was never satisfied. He understood, man, I got some things I still want to do. There's some areas of life I still need to grow in. There's some things that I need to mature in. Leaders are learners. And they're constantly growing and they're constantly learning and they're constantly trying to find ways to be more effective. I've told you before, uh, if, if you are the smartest one in your circle of friends, you need some smarter friends. <laughs> you need some people in your circle that pull the best out of you. You need the people in your circle that cause you and propel you and, and encourage you to be more and to be better. And the Apostle Paul, guys, I just didn't want you to miss this as I get into this. He was so uh, uh, desirous to know more, to learn more, to be able to do more. And I love the humility that comes with that. You know, that's a very humbling thing whenever you say, look, I've achieved a lot in life and I, I'm, I'm in a good place in life, but man, I've got so much more to go. I've got so much, many other areas that I can grow in. I can tell you just from my own personal experience, I can tell you more things that will not work when it comes to building a church than things that will work. I mean, I know, I know how to fail far more than I know how to succeed. So I'm just saying, if you're going to be an effective leader, in my estimation, you come to the point where you're not afraid to fail, just so that your failures are forward. <laughs> you're trying to do the right thing, right? And the Apostle Paul, I mean, he had failures in his life. He didn't hit a, out of the park every time he got up to bat. But the point that made him so uh, incredible was his humility. So you have this element, don't miss this, of being dissatisfied. Number two, not only do you see that he was dissatisfied, but he had it dialed in dialed in. Look at verse 12, 13 again. He said, I press hold. Now get this phrasing. I'm trying to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I'm trying to take hold of what he, of what took hold of me. I do not yet consider myself to have taken hold of it, but this one thing I do. Now to take hold is to apprehend. So Paul was simply saying here, I, I, I apprehended why God apprehended me on the road to Damascus. I've apprehended that, but now I'm trying to apprehend the purpose behind him apprehending me so that I can apprehend and fulfill that purpose. Does that make sense? So I'm, I'm wrapping my head, Paul saying, around what God saw in me. I'm trying to apprehend that. I'm trying to lay hold of what is the potential God saw in me when he reached down from heaven and saved me and changed my life. I'm, I'm trying to get my head around this because I know once I've locked into this, this is going to be the reason he saved me. And this is going to be the reason he's given me life. This is going to be my, my purpose. This is the one thing God has designed me to do. 
And can I tell you this morning, out of all the things that you're good at, God has designed you primarily to fulfill one thing, and that's your purpose. You've got a purpose different than mine. You've got a purpose that is unique to you as your DNA. No one can do what you do the way you do it. No one can have what you have unless they can do what you do. And God has so uniquely gifted you in a way that uh, he has blessed you and will continue to bless you as long as you are fulfilling purpose. Now, purpose is found in his will. God has a will for your life. There is, let me give it to you this way. There is a general will for, of God for everyone, right? God has a general desire for everyone. It begins with a person knowing him as Savior. In fact, 1 Peter 3, 9, God is not willing. What's the will of God? He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It starts there. If you don't know Jesus, you're watching the service, you're in the room, you've never trusted him, you say, Bill, what's God's will for my life? Right there. <laughs> he wants you to humble your heart and receive him as your Savior. He wants you to connect with your creator because you'll never know what you're designed to do if you're not connected with the one who created you. You'll live your life feeling frustrated. You'll live your life trying to find purpose. You'll live your life really out of sync with what God's designed you to do because you cannot understand purpose or his will if you do not know the one who designed you. So it starts there. God has a will. His will is that you know him. By the way, that's the will of God for every single solitary person in the world. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So it's the will of God, the general will of God, is for people to know him as Savior. And then for people to follow his example through baptism. It was the first step of obedience. They who gladly received his word in Acts 2 were baptized. Baptism is an outward testimony of an inward transaction. You say, I'm a Christ follower. I'm not ashamed of it. I'm going to go public with my faith. And in baptism, there is an identity with a local church. Now, I'm talking general will of God. So it's for you to know him, for you to connect with him through baptism, for you to connect with him into a local church, for you to begin to use your gifts in serving other people by serving God. It involves our giving. It involves every aspect of our life. That's, listen, the general will of God. That's the general will that fits every Christ follower in the room and those watching online. But then there is a specific will of God. This is what Paul was going at, this one thing thing. <laughs> there is a specific will of God. And here's what I know. I know you will never discover the specific will of God if you're not actively doing the general will of God. As you do what God has told you to do, God will show you things he has not yet shown you to do. Does that make sense? In other words, if I'm not doing the general will of God, why would he show me the specific will of God? So once I'm obedient to the thing that I know, I'm obedient to the things that I know I should do, God will begin to reveal to me things about me, the uniqueness of my personality and my giftings and my callings that I don't yet know that I'm to do. Now, a lot of that has to do with desire. The Bible says if anyone desires the office of a bishop, they desire a good thing. So we'd say, dads, to our kids, what do you want to be when you grow up? And they'll go through a period of time where it's everything, and they're all over the page, and we, we support all that. They're superheroes at some point in life. They're princesses at some point in life, and that's great. 
That's wonderful. That's part of that little development. It's that, uh, what do they call it, the Machiavellian stage of life when kids are believing the fantastic and they can do the incredible. Well, that's a part of it. But at some point, they get about, you know, 20, 25. You need to start saying, well, what do you feel like God has really gifted you and designed you to do? What is that specific? What is that, that one thing? Now, I know sometimes you do many things to find the one thing. I had a pastor friend of mine tell me one time, he said, Bill, I had to go to Mexico as a missionary to know God did not want me in Mexico as a missionary. <laughs> but he said, I never looked back and worried about it. He said, in the moment, I thought it was a thing to do, so I did it. Now I look back on it. I'm glad I did. How many in the room have a similar story? How many watching? Where you did something and it just wasn't you, wasn't a good fit? That's okay. You're doing the general will of God while you're trying to find the specific will of God, right? You're trying to find what has he uniquely gifted me to do. It has to do with desire, and it has to do with design. You know why I didn't play professional football? Have I ever shared this with you? You know why? It's really, I haven't. It's because I wasn't good enough. <laughs> it wasn't in this fat boy's design. I mean, I had a desire, but at some point it doesn't fit the design. You know what I'm saying? So I'm suggesting to you that when you're dialing it in, you say, here's my desire. Does it fit my design? And one of the ways it does is somebody out there somewhere will affirm you in it. If no one affirms you in the thing that you desire to do, maybe, maybe that's not quite your design. I don't mean your, you know, your, your mama or your grandmama saying, baby, anything you want to do, you can do that. I, I mean, somebody that doesn't know you, have, they have no dog in that fight. They just come alongside of you and go, you know what? You handle that well. You did that really well. You're good at that. Well, if that ever happens to you, take a little mental note. Check that box somewhere in your noggin because that's somebody affirming something God's put in you that you're good at. You, you have some giftings in that area. You know, you say, well, if no one's ever told me I'm any good at this, then maybe your desire isn't lining up with your design. You remember when John spotted Jesus on the Jordan River? And when he saw Jesus, you remember what John said? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Notice what Jesus didn't do. Jesus didn't step up on the scene and go, I'm the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He could have done that because it had been true. I'd, be, I'd have spun that message in a different direction had he said that, but that's not what he did. He let someone else recognize him. He allowed John to recognize who he was and what he was here to do. What's the point? The principle is in discovering your purpose, the one thing, you have to look at this, does my desire fit my design, and have I been affirmed in this? So those are all just principles I hope that will help you when we talk about dialing it in. And once you dial it in, man, let the main thing of your life be the main thing. Paul said, this is the thing I'm designed to do. I'll do a lot of other things, but this is the one thing. This is the most significant thing about my life. This one thing. What am I saying? He dialed it in. Third principle. It is a principle I'm calling being determined. Being absolutely determined. Notice what he said, verse 13, I'm going to try to forget what's behind me, and I'm going to be straining, straining with every fiber of my being toward what is ahead of me. Paul said, man, to do the one thing God's called me to do, I, I got to travel light. And some of us are carrying baggage God didn't design us to carry. 
Some of you are having struggles and you're having difficulties getting past your past and your past has become luggage, it's become a weight, it's become baggage that you carry that God didn't design you to carry. And if you're going to really strain toward what God has called you to do and do that one thing effectively, if you're going to be committed to that, then there's some things that you're going to have to kind of get past. For some, you're going to have to get past some negative associations. You've been hanging with some people that are dragging you down. I've told you in life you're going to have replenishing friendships and draining friendships. Or let me use the word relationships. You're going to have people that will pour into you as you pour into them. It's reciprocal. It's good. It's healthy. You've got to have friends like that. And you know a friend like that when you spend time with them and the time just flies. You have friends like that. You hang out with them. You look at the clock and you, I can't believe we've been hanging out for so long. You get off a trip with them and you're already planning the next trip with them. They are your replenishing friend. Listen, they're your safe people. You need some safe people. You need some people around you that won't rat you out. You need some people around you that will let you say something stupid. You need some people around you that will let you have a bad day and maybe even say something you don't even believe. But they give you the space to say it. You have anybody like that in your life? somebody that absolutely loves you and they're committed to the relationship they have with you, those are replenishing friendships. And you're going to need those. You know why? Because you're going to have some draining friendships. You're going to have people you pour into that are going to do absolutely nothing for you in return. It is a one-way relationship, and it's all going their way. Some of them will say enough about me. Now you talk about me, right? You're going to have those. And that's part of what we do as Christ followers. We try to pour into people, but I'm saying if only relationships you have are one-way relationships, you are a limited resource. And eventually you will flat give out. And once you've given out, you can no longer give the things that you don't have. And if you aren't replenishing yourself, you're not gonna be worth anything to anyone, especially your family, if you aren't replenishing yourself. My point is, guys, if you're wanting to strain ahead and you're wanting to press toward the mark of fulfilling purpose in your life and you're committed to the cause, sometimes you have to evaluate the people you're allowing to influence you. Who are you allowing to speak into your life? Are they negative or... Are they, is it spiritual counsel? Is it spiritual advice? I mean, be careful the people with whom you associate. Remember that old saying, if you want to soar with the eagles, you can't hang out with turkeys? <laughs> I mean, there is a principle that says association begets assimilation. You will eventually become like the people you hang with. So think about that as I talk about getting past some things, forgetting some things. There's this idea of getting past some of these. And, and then it has this idea of, of, of letting go of grudges. Now, Jesus said, it's not possible, it's not possible to live life without offenses. You're going to be offended. People are going to offend you. You're going to offend other people. That's why they have the little sign in some of the little uh, uh, shops that say, if you break it, you bought it. Nobody goes in there intending to break things. Nobody just goes in there and says, I'm going to see how much this I can knock off. some yard drill. Let me see how long, how many of those pieces I can take out, right? Nobody does that. But I can walk into a place and put my hands in the pocket and, and, and break, you know, 30, 40 bucks worth of stuff, not even trying. I just, I just, just, I'm a walking disaster area sometimes. That's why Cindy said, put your arms straight to your side, Bill. Uh, in fact, just wait on me outside. Too many breakable things for you to be in here. I can just turn around and break stuff. Well, I can tell you, some of us are like that. We just turn around and break stuff. 
There are people in our wake, we accidentally, nobody really sets out to offend anybody. I'm just saying, you just can't go through life without offending somebody. It's just going to happen. It's not intentional. It just, it is what it is. Jesus said, you can't go through life without offenses. Now look, don't be easily offended. That's the kicker. Some, have you ever met anybody just easily offended? Every little thing gets a mooch, and they get all wound up over the littlest thing in the world. Easily offended. My dad used to say, if you don't want your little feelings hurt, don't have little feelings. <laughs> Be bigger than that. And I'm just saying, sometimes, guys, to move on with my life, I've got to not only look at my association, but I've got to get past some grudges that I've been carrying. I've got to let some things go. I've got to let some people go. I can't get where I'm going if I'm carrying all that weight. So it, it has to do, listen, for some, it has to do with getting past some guilt. One of the things I deal with almost every time I get up is try to help people get past the past, past the things that they've done that they can't seem to forgive themselves of. And I have to remind them, as I remind all of you, once God has forgiven you, forgive yourself. Quit piling that junk on yourself, man. Turn the page, draw a line in the sand, whatever you got to do, whatever metaphor melts your butter. You just got to move forward and say, I'm tired of being sick and tired over the mistakes of my past. Get over it. Get past it. If you're going to do the one thing, you got to do those things to be able to pull that off. Some people, they got to get over past glory, the glory days, the glory years. Yeah, you got some skins on the wall. You got some trophies on the shelf, but that's not going to do anything about the challenges you're facing tomorrow. I mean, you, 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 you got a game tomorrow that you're playing? You walk down and show the opposing team. That's last year's champion trophy right there, just so you know, Buster. They're not going to just forfeit the game and go home. In fact, they're going to go, you know what? Hope you strapped your cleats on, son. You're in for a bite, right? What's my point? My point is yesterday's trophies don't do anything for the challenges of today. You got to get past that stuff. It's good to have it, but it's not going to do anything for you as you go forward. You're still going to have to fight some fights. So Paul was just determined. Here's my word. Paul was just committed to say, I'm going to let some things go, and I'm going to move forward into what God has called me to do. Here's the last thought. He was directed. He had his eyes on a goal. He's going somewhere. I mean, if you ever have done archery, you know if you're going to hit the target, you don't first fire the arrow downfield, and then when it hits, go and draw a a target around whatever you hit. There's people that live life that way. Bullseye! Well, not that you drew the bullseye around that broadhead, you know, it wasn't a bullseye. But there are people that go through life that way, right? They're just um, generalities. They're just wandering generalities instead of specifics. And Paul was saying, that's not going to be my life. I'm headed somewhere. I've got a goal in mind. I, I, I'm pressing, note now, verse 14, I'm pressing, and the word press means pursue. I like this. It's the idea of, of a hunter pursuing game. You pursue it, man. You, you're doing everything you can to be cautious about it because you're approaching it. You see the elk. You see the deer. You're going, it's a fisherman pursuing the fish. Well, let's break it down. It's a little boy pursuing the girl. You've raised little boys, some of us have. You know there comes that magical moment in your home where instead of having to tell them to take a bath 
and having to tell them to brush their teeth and having to tell them to change their underwear, having to tell them to put on some deodorant, all of a sudden, what happens? It's magical. They discover little girls. And now they are bathing. They are changing those clothes. You can smell them two minutes before they walk into the room. You say, what in the world has happened? They got into dad's high karate in there. Man, this kid. And all of a sudden, you realize that little booger has discovered girls. He's on a pursuit. What's he doing? He's pressing. He's pressing. That's what Paul was saying, sort of. <laughs> he was saying, look, I, I have an objective it's changed everything about my life. I, I can't do anything that would keep me from fulfilling that purpose. I am absolutely pointed in that direction. And the beautiful thing about it is, folks, when you get it dialed in that way, here's what you'll find. Not only will people on earth celebrate you and rejoice with you, but you know there's people in heaven that are pulling for you too. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, we are compassed about with a great cloud of witnesses, meaning we've got some loved ones. I've got some over there that are in heaven, and you know what they're doing? They're cheering us on. They're saying, man, you got this. You can do this. It's not your time. You still have a reason for being there. You have a purpose. You need to go. I'm pulling for you. I'm, I'm cheering for you. you can, we're compassed about with this cloud of witnesses that's pulling for us. Some of you have a dad in heaven. He's pulling for you today. Some of you have grandparents there. He's pulling for you today. So if I could challenge you to do anything as I close on this Father's Day weekend, just don't give up. Don't give in. Don't give out. Rest if you need to. Take that break. Reorder your thinking. You have to. But man, re-up that commitment. And see, by the grace of God, man, I'm focused on what he wants me to do and where I'm trying to go. And I will not quit. Come hell or high water, man. I am absolutely committed. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Father, as we study it and we read it, we see how practical it is. Even a child can understand it. And not only is your word practical, but it's possible. We, we can do it. You said in James that we're to be doers of the word and not just hearers. You said faith without our works is dead. So, Lord, today as we've heard your word, as we've experienced worship, help us to walk out of this room determined, to take it up to another level, to be focused on the thing that you've called us to do. And, Lord, your word is powerful. When we apply it, it changes everything about our life. Your word can change our heart. It can change our home. It can change our city. It can change our world. So, Father, help us to be people who exemplify, who live according to your word. And if there's one watching or if there's one in the room who never trusted you as Savior, I pray this might be the moment when they humble their heart and say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart and forgive my sin. I want to connect with my creator right now. And with everything I know about me, I trust everything I know about you. Forgive my sin, I pray in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for tuning in today with us. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us so that we can follow up with you this week by visiting metchurch.com. We look forward to seeing you again next week.